we are going to uh, we're going to finish Ephesians this morning. See, the only way we're going to get this done is if I, if Pastor Tony wasn't up here, because if he was up here, we'd we'd just go at it again next week. So we're we're uh, we're going to finish Ephesians this morning. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter six. We've been working through the book of Ephesians, and uh, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you this morning, feel free. There should be a Bible in front of you or around you somewhere, uh, and we'll be on page 1082. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, then now you do. So take that one with you, or if you know somebody who doesn't have a Bible and they need a Bible, then take one of those, those Bibles and, and give it to them. Um, but we're going to continue and, and finish our study in, in Ephesians. So for three weeks, um, we've really just been unpacking the armor of, of God. And Tony was thinking initially that, hey, this is going to be a one-week thing. And then the longer we looked at it, the more we realized, wait, this isn't a one-week one week conversation. So as we've looked at the armor of God, we understand that really what God has shown us, the same thing he's shown us really through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians really is a book on identity. That's why Paul takes the first three chapters and, and reminds us and tells us exactly who we are in Christ and what we've been what we've been given in Christ. And so that's what the first three chapters are of Ephesians are. And he says, look, if, before you know what to do, you got to know who you are. Once you know who you are, then you'll know what to, you'll know what to do. And then he kind of bookends that and, and tells us about the, the armor of God. But as we looked at last week, and if you've missed any one of these um, messages, I encourage you to go to the website and go back and listen, because they really do all stack on top of each other. And so then he ends really the, the pieces of the armor are are pieces of identity and that's what we've discovered over the last few the last few weeks as tony was talking last week he mentioned that the first five pieces in the armor are defensive pieces of armor and then he ended with the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and uh, and he said hey there's one more offensive piece and so we have the word which is an offensive weapon the sword and we're going to see this morning that uh, we've got another offensive piece of armor, and, uh, and it's our final weapon for discussion. And, and so, you know, there's been much discussion as to whether or not this is part of the armor, uh, because, you know, with each, each piece of the armor, he lists, you know, we have the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword. Of, we, so you see, like, these pieces, well, when we get to this one, he doesn't, he doesn't relay it, relate it to a piece of armor, Um, But here's what we need to understand as we move into our discussion. It is a weapon. Paul intended, God intends for us to to approach this and to understand this and to see this as a weapon. And what we've got to understand is that it's foundational to the effectiveness of the rest of the armor. Okay? And so this is extremely important for us to understand. And he gives more attention to this than any other one piece of the armor. So that tells us we should, we should pay attention. We should listen up, okay? So let's, uh, let's just read, and we're going to back up because I think that we need to read it all. Uh, all. We need to go through the entire list of the armor for everything to make complete and, total, complete and total sense. So he begins in verse 10. We'll start in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here's our, here's our passage for this morning, picking up in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit... With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then, let me just read this real quickly. You know, Paul gives his, basically his, his farewell. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So he's going to send this letter, letter through Tychicus. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And he says, peace to you. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Okay, I know that was a mouthful, but we get to the, we get to the, final, the final piece of the puzzle. And uh, I want you to just think about, and it doesn't matter what movie we, we think about, but think about the Hollywood narrative that's all, often written in, in movies. And so whenever there's this hero or superhero, or whatever, whatever it is, um, we, it's all building to this one thing, like this ultimate final showdown. So it's building to this climax, and everything's building to this point. And then the hero uh, needs to get his—he needs to get his weapons. He needs to get ready to go into battle. And so whether you know he goes to his arsenal and lays it all out on the counter, or maybe he has somebody that he goes to, maybe you know, like Batman, he's got Alfred. I don't know, whatever it is, but. But you go, and, and all the stuff is laid out on the, the table before, and like, okay, we're ready. And then inevitably, there's, there's oftentimes this question, what else you got? What else you got? And that's where they go in the back, and they pull out the bazooka, and come on out, and they're like, now we're ready to go. Now we're ready to, now we're ready to roll. Now we can get somewhere. Well, Paul has shown us all the armor. He, he's listed out every single component. He's named it. He's, he's to, talked specifically about its purpose and what it's for and how it's available to us. And there's one weapon remaining in the arsenal, and it, it is essential. And the secret weapon is prayer. So we need to, we need to address some things first, but here's, here's where this will take us right into the conversation this morning. If you have your listening guide, here, here's what we need to, to understand. This is what Paul's trying to tell us. We don't need a complicated battle strategy. We need a simple commitment to prayer. We need a commitment to prayer. What the Bible's teaching is that we need to constantly be in prayer in the deployment of the armor that God has given us. That it's, he circles around and he makes it all about about prayer. And here's the thing, as I was preparing this week and just thinking about, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about looking out into your faces. I was thinking about, especially the men. It's like, you, you, we get and we're like, yeah, the bazooka. We want the bazooka. And then I'm going to say, it's prayer. And I wonder like if the, the air kind of let out of the room. If maybe some of you felt kind of, kind of deflated. I mean, we, like the shield, the helmet, the sword, prayer. So let's just be honest. Let's get some things. I think it's important for us. Let's get some things out on the table for us this morning, because if we're honest, there's some, some hesitancy that we're like, I, I mean, can it be something else? And isn't that the way God works? The, he doesn't do things the way that we would want him to, or the way in which we would do them. And he says, this is, this is what we're wrapping everything in. It's prayer. And I think there are two primary reasons why we push away from this. I, I do. I think, and I think there are other reasons, but I think there's two primary reasons. I think, uh, one, the topic of prayer tends to, to drain us. And this is why. Because it, it causes us to have to confront our own prayer life. Yeah? And, and so it causes us to have to examine our own prayer life, to evaluate our prayer life or our lack thereof. And so we don't like that. We, we, don't, we don't like that because, hey, and, and so if I asked you this morning, you know, rate your prayer life for me. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you, how would you rate your current prayer life? I mean, how do you even gauge that? You know, how do you, how do you figure that out? How do you determine where you are from 1 to 10? I mean, do you compare it to maybe your prayer life in a, in a previous season of life or a previous time? Do you rate that based on 
how long you pray or how short you pray? Do you rate that on um, whether you're willing or able to pray in front of people or not? Do you base it on um, your effectiveness in prayer? And so if God answers, and I'm saying answers because really it's answers the way in which we want him or think he should, think he should answer. And so if God is, is answering according to what we think, then we're like, okay, well, yeah, that's right. How would we, how would we answer that? How would we rate? How would, how would we even come up? And so here's, here's what I recognize, that there's oftentimes when it comes to prayer, and it's why we don't want to talk about it, it's because there's this shame and this guilt because we, we know that we should and could be praying more, right? But there's a theme all throughout Scripture. This, this is one of the things I spend some time thinking about, like, there's in God's people there's oftentimes this discomfort and discouragement when it comes to prayer the Israelites they begged Moses to pray on their behalf they could have prayed they're begging for for Moses to pray on their behalf as Jesus is facing the cross just around the corner he tells his disciples hey watch and pray and what happens they can't stay awake they fall they fall asleep now I know we've never done that we've never fallen asleep praying but they fall asleep like they can't. And Paul, in, in Romans chapter 8, he says, we don't even know what to pray. There are oftentimes we don't even know what to pray. But then he also says, hey, take heart, because the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. So God understands this whole conversation. But the point is, is that we feel like we're not good enough. We feel like our prayer life isn't good enough. And so we, we're like, really? This is... This is the answer? And then number two, I think the people of God oftentimes have a misunderstanding of prayer as God intended it to be. I think we don't fully understand what we've been given in prayer. And, and, and if we're honest, what happens is, is we tend to mess things up. We just have a great, we don't do it intentionally, but we oftentimes, we just, we mess things up. Prime example, in Matthew chapter 6, whenever Jesus gives the model prayer. Hey, this is how you pray. And we, we pray what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy king. Right? And we, we can, we, most people in here can rattle that off without even thinking, without giving any thought. You know what Jesus says directly before that? He says, don't offer up empty phrases. It, it, depending on your, your translation, the, he says, don't offer up, don't pray in vain rep repetition. And then what have we made it? You, you see what I'm saying? Well, Jesus makes the statement. He says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be given. So what do we do? We end every prayer in Jesus' name. Stop and think about this. Do you really think that's what he meant? But we take something... No, let me tell you what he meant. The only way that you and I have access to the Father is through the Son. One. Number two, he's saying pray in his will. Pray in his will. And so the will of Jesus, God wants to answer his will. So when we're in line and our, our requests are in line with the will of the Father, he's glad to answer you see what I'm saying? But we have a tendency just to jumble this up and to, to, mess, things, to mess things up. And so what, what is the purpose of praying? Why do, you, why do you pray? Why do you pray? What do you pray? What do you pray? Here's what I know. The substance of our prayers, and this is true for every single person in this room, the substance of our prayers are a clear indicator of what we truly believe about prayer. You want to know what you believe about prayer? Start writing your prayers out, and you can read back over, and you can determine real quick exactly what you believe about prayer. And so I think that there are tons of well-intentioned believers that are praying sincerely, but praying wrongly. And so we get to this passage, and it just doesn't make sense to us. This is really what it boils down to. This is the problem we have. Many people wrongly believe that prayer is the way we get God to give us what we want. 
But it's really the means God uses to give us what he knows we need. Okay? So this is, the, this is one of the, the problems that we have. And so, again, I think we need to be honest about some things before we can move into our discussion this morning. So if we're honest, most of, of our prayers are motivated by comfort and convenience. We like our comfort. We, we want what's, what's convenient. And so we view prayer as a way to get what we want or what we think we need. When I was a, when I was a kid, um, I would make my Christmas list. Like I would write Santa out a letter and I would say, these are the things I want. And, uh, and we had a fireplace. And so my parents told me that, you know, if we, we, we take the, the wish list, the, my list for Christmas presents, and then we put it in the fireplace and then the ashes go up to Santa Claus. Now, that sounds awesome, but let's just be honest. That's, that's oftentimes how we approach prayer with God. It's like we make our list of things that, that we want or things that we think we need, and then we just slide it across the table to, to God. Hey, this is what I want. This is what I need. If you could just take care of that for me. And, and God's relegated to just a genie in a bottle or Santa Claus. He's just there to give us what we want. And if we're honest, that's oftentimes how we, we approach prayer. Or we view prayer as a, a means to remove what we don't want or what we think we don't need. And so it's really this, this, this list, this wish list, or it's moment of crisis prayer. And so when the wheels are falling off, when, when everything's going haywire, we, we just want God to remove it. And so when there's somebody sick that we, or, or we're sick, or somebody that's sick, we, we just want God to take that away. When we're in the midst of suffering, we just want God to, to take that away. Paul, I mean, did you pay attention to verses 19 and 20? Where's Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison, okay? If we're in prison, you know what we're doing? Wrongly in prison, because that's important, because it's not fair. We love that phrase in today's culture. That's not fair. It's not fair that Paul's in prison. If we're in prison wrongly, you know what we're saying? It's not fair. And we're, man, we're praying for God to bring justice on the people that have wrongly put us in prison. We're praying for God to, to get us out of this mess because we don't, we don't deserve to be here. We're praying, remove this thing. And we're like sending out all kinds of prayer requests. And we got everybody praying. We're, they're praying at our church. They're praying at their church. We're praying. What does Paul say? Verse 19, and also for me, he says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We oftentimes pray wrongly and we pray selfishly and we pray from a position of wanting comfort we pray from a position of convenience should we pray in moments of crisis don't leave here this morning thinking oh well pastor brian said we shouldn't ask for anything and we shouldn't pray when when we're in crisis no we 100 percent should pray in crisis like this like this yes we should pray but how should we pray should we bring our needs before a father? Is that okay? Yes. Our father loves nothing more than to hear what his kids need. He loves nothing more than to give us good things. But is that all? Should that be the bulk of our prayers? Should that be the substance of our prayers continually? Here's the question I have. If you were to remove, think about your personal prayer life. This isn't your, your spouse or your kids or the person sitting next to you or somebody else you're thinking about right now. If you were to remove crisis of, uh, moments of crisis and this wish list from your prayer life, what would you be left with? What would you be left with? That's an important question, don't you think? We, we, should, we should ask that. What would you be left with? And the longer we pray wrongly, the further we travel down the road away from God's design and intention for prayer. 
And so this morning, I'm just praying that God just awakens our hearts to what he really intends for us in prayer. And the less this passage makes sense, if it's all about moment of crisis or wish list prayer, then this makes zero sense to us. It can't make sense. What do you mean? How can this be the one thing that Paul wraps the whole entire armor of God up with? But this passage gives us insight for what God really intends for us in prayer. If, uh, if you have, maybe you've come along in the last couple of years, I would encourage you. We did, a, uh, we did a series on prayer on Wednesday nights back in 2020 called Beyond. And uh, so we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at this passage. I believe God's going to really uh, show us some, some things. But if you're wanting to, to know more, if you're wanting to study more, if you're wanting to really, like God really kind of is like, I would encourage you to go back to... Uh, Go back on the website and you can listen to, it's Beyond is the name of that series, and you can go back and you can listen to that series on prayer. It would be extremely, extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. So, when should we pray? Verse 18, listen to what Paul says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay, so what we see here is it's an all-in kind of it's an all-in kind of prayer. That he says, "Hey, at all times, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints." And so what we need to understand is that prayer is the foundation that governs all Christian activity. It governs all Christian activity in everything we do, in all things, but especially in the war against the powers of evil. That's important for us to understand. So when do we pray? It says here, not just in moments of crisis, not just in moments of need, but at all times, in all ways, in everything. That's what he calls us to. And so you know what that means? We pray in good times and in bad times. It means that we pray before battle and we pray in battle. It means that we pray long prayers and we pray short prayers. We offer up thanksgiving in our prayers, and we also bring our needs and our requests before our Father. We pray in big decisions. We pray in little decisions. We pray in times of rejoicing. We pray on the mountaintops, and we pray in the valleys when we're suffering. We pray in victory, and we pray in defeat. When we feel like it, and when we don't feel like it. We pray for ourselves, and we pray for others. We pray individually. We pray corporately. When do we pray? In all things, at all times. That's what he's saying here. In every situation, in every way, we are declaring our complete and total dependence upon God. That is, that is what he's calling us to do. In everything and in every way. And then how do we pray? In verse 18 again, he says, praying at all times, what? In the Spirit. In the Spirit. We need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle, and a spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. See, the reason why we get our teeth kicked in so often is we're trying to fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. And so we walk out the door in our own strength and our own power, and then we wonder why we're not being effective for the kingdom. We wonder why we're always giving in to the temptations around us. Because we're fighting a spiritual battle with human weapons. And it is a spiritual battle that requires spiritual weapons. So when he begins this whole conversation, that's why I wanted to read it in its entirety. When he begins this conversation, he says, be strong in your own strength. You got this. That is not what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In verse 12, he says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, in the heavenly places. So we understand it's a spiritual battle and the Spirit moves us and the Spirit, the Spirit helps us and the Spirit teaches us and the Spirit transforms us and the Spirit empowers us. How do we address the unseen powers and principalities? How do we do that? How do we address those things? We pray. And when we do, we go over their head to the one who is head over all. Right? And so, you know, maybe in your workplace or if you're in military, we understand there's a chain of command. 
you have a chain of command and you don't go straight to the top. You got to go to your supervisor and then, you know, if that doesn't work, you go to their supervisor. And then there, there's no chain of command with God. We take it straight to him. We jump over the heads of those principalities to the one who can actually do something about the situation we find ourselves in. It's a spiritual battle that requires spiritual weapons. He's the only one that can do it. And I think this is why the, the powers work so cleverly and so constantly to keep us off our knees. Do you remember last week when Pastor Tony made the comments like, why is it that, man, whenever we sit down to spend time with God and His Word, it's like every distraction under the sun. It happens all the time. And so the enemy is working to distract us from the things that are going to bring about change in our life. That it, the Bible talks about right here about the schemes of the enemy. He's got, there's schemes, there are things in place. And so what he's tried to convince us is, well, number one, I think, um, especially just in our culture and our time today, that, man, busyness is a huge thing. Because we're constantly running from here to there. And so we don't have time to pray or we don't feel this need to pray because we live in a time where it's like we live in Disney World. We live in Disney World, and it's all just sunshines and rainbows, man. It's all about just this great life, and we get to enjoy all these wonderful things. And, and we walk out the door, and we're like, okay, well, what am I going to do today? Where are we going to go eat? What are we going to go do? What do you want to do as a family? Hey, what's our next vacation? And so we feel like we live in Disney World, and so there's no need to, to pray in which the way God is saying here. We don't live in Disney World. There's a war going on, and we've got to understand that. We have got to understand that. And so if we think, well, number one, if we're too busy and we think that we live in Disney World, then you know what we'll do? We'll walk out the door. We'll offer up some quick little prayer. Help me, Jesus, during this day. And we go about our day making our own decisions, doing our own things the way in which we think we should do them. And we move into our activities in our own power, leaning on our own wisdom. And the truth is, is, you and I are heading out every single day into a war zone. Every day. And the point was made last week. When do you put your armor on? When does a soldier put his armor on? I, I, was, thinking, uh, I was thinking about, maybe you don't know this, I was a fireman for 14 years before God called me to full-time ministry. And I was thinking about, you know, when does a fireman put on his gear? When he shows up at the fire, they, okay, we get to the fire. And now, is that the time to start putting on your, your gear and you're just frantically trying to put it on whenever you're, when you need it? No. Fireman puts on the gear as he's heading out the door. Like, it's, it's on. You've got to be prepared so that when you arrive, you're already, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. And so we get prepared for battle. The soldier gets prepared for battle before you ever hit the battlefield. That makes sense. We understand that. And then I thought even more about these schemes that the enemy uses. We live in a culture, and this is so true, and then it, what happens is, is it bleeds into the church if we're not careful, and it bleeds into our lives. We live in a culture that is dominated by appetite and impulse. Appetite and impulse. What do I want? And whatever it is, I'm just going to go and get it and be impulsive in that, in that time. You want this? What is, what is it that you want? What is it that your heart desires? What is it that you are going to give you? Whatever it is, we want this, and then we just go and get it. And we just dive headlong into whatever it is. And there's, we live in a culture that's void of purpose and, and continuity. And so we're frantically busy rushing here and there. And wherever is the slightest suggestion of something that's going to bring satisfaction into our hearts and into our lives, we go and chase it. And so we chase the, the latest and greatest, and we're always looking for bigger and better. And there's these just these things, the, these attractively packaged promises. Oh, they're they're attractively packaged. Hey, this is what you need. This is where it's at. This is what you need to be doing. This, and we just live in a culture that's just fueled by appetite and impulse. And so we just go go after it. And what happens is, is the people of God. We just join along in the rat race without stopping to think about anything. We just join in. And so we begin to chase the same things that everybody else is, is chasing. And all those things are is an attempt to distract us from God. Hear that this morning. 
It's just an attempt to distract us from God, from the the things of God, from the, the methods that God wants to use in our life so that we'll be the people that he created us to be. And guess what, church? It's working. It's working. Think about this. Why do so many believers have the same erratic life patterns as the rest of the world? Why are there so many inconsistencies in the people of God? Why do Christians live in constant defeat and have an inability to discern spiritual things? Why? Why is it that when you get in conflict, when you're, when you're in, in conflict with somebody, you see that individual as the enemy? Right? Enemy number one. Whoever's coming at me, whoever's... We, we see them as the enemy. They're the enemy in our mind. Well, that's not what this says. It says there is an enemy. But we can't discern that if we're not spending time in prayer. There's an enemy, but that person's not the enemy. They may be a tool of the enemy in that situation, but that doesn't make them the enemy. That's a person that's created in the image of God for the glory of God. That's who stands in front of you. And our primary goal should be what Paul declares in verse 19 and 20. So how do we navigate this without hurting that? You see what I'm saying? But we, we can't see them as the enemy. They're not the enemy. They just bought into the schemes of the enemy. We've got to see with different eyes the way in which God has called us to, to see. And so it's important for us to understand that this is how we identify the schemes of the devil. This is how we see things for for what they really are. Here's the answer. Why we have so much trouble in this area. Here's the answer. And it's not the bazooka that we think it is. It's something so different, but so simple. We don't rise early and spend time with God. We don't go to Him throughout the day just to hear from our Heavenly Father. We don't declare dependence on him. Here's an interesting thought. You don't need me. You don't need your spouse. You don't need your parents. You don't need anybody to tell you where your, your weaknesses are. Where your tendencies to give into temptation. You know what those things are. Would you agree with that? You know what you're prone to, to give into. You know where you're weak. You know where you need help. Do you take that to your Heavenly Father every single day before you hit the battlefield? You you think that we're going to do this in our own strength and our own power? And then we wonder why we trip up and why we keep giving in to the same things over and over and over again. You you see what I'm saying? We We don't seek divine power. We just continue to go along in our own power. We don't make time daily to depart from the crowd. We don't We don't make time for silence and solitude, preparing for the day's journey, which is the battlefield. We must have, as God's people, we must have a defined priority. And it's not natural, and it's not what we would think. But this is what God is calling us to. Listen to to what we see in Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus made this a priority. Over and over and over in the Scripture, we see this. In the New Testament, you read through the New Testament, Jesus would continually and constantly, he would depart, and he would go off in solitude and be with his his heavenly Father. Do we really think that we're going to have success and victory in some other way that, that Jesus had victory and success? If Jesus made this a priority, that alone should be something to say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, this is, this is what we see. And it was a priority for Jesus. And I'm just going to follow the example that we, have in, that we have in Christ. No, we're not going to do it our way and think that we can take some kind of shortcut. or take. No, this is the model that we have in Christ. In Christ. In, in verse 18, he also talked about, he says, to that end, keep alert and pray with all perseverance. In Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He's saying, watch and pray. And so this isn't some new thing that we see. Like Paul's just referencing what, what Jesus said. One of the greatest difficulties, this is so true, one of the greatest difficulties about the Christian life is it's so daily. And so we can sit here this morning and we can be like, yes, we understand. And this is an area of my life I know that I need to do better in. And I need to approach it, not just I need to spend more time with God, but I need to spend my time differently than I'm speaking. And we can be, yes, and somehow, we, and we can come, we can pray, and tomorrow we'll get up and we'll pray. And then, man, life just continues to bear down on us Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And so, because here's the deal, the secret weapon never changes. It's the same thing, continually, constantly. And so, okay, well, it's easy to make a commitment in this moment, but here's the, here's the mark of genius. The mark of genius is the ability and energy to keep returning to the same task relentlessly, imaginatively, curiously, for a lifetime. For a lifetime. We never give up and move on to something else. We never give up and allow ourselves to be diverted to something else. We do it and then we do it again. Not mindlessly but persistently. That's what God has called us to. And I get it. Sometimes we just feel like we're going through the motions. Go through the motions. Go through the motions because you're building discipline. You're, you're, building, you're building habit. And, and going through the motion is oftentimes the thing that leads to heartfelt prayer. You, you know, Think about any other discipline in your life, whatever it is. Maybe you go to the gym or maybe it's um, I don't know, whatever it is. So just the gym. Do you think everybody that goes to the gym every single day, they wake up and like, I cannot wait to go to the gym. There are days where you don't want to go to the gym, but you go anyway. And then when you get there, you're like, hey, this isn't so bad. And then it not only impacts what you're doing there, but it also impacts everything moving forward, right? And so there are going to be times where it's going to feel like you're just going through the motions and not say, good, keep going, keep moving, keep moving. So there's four things that uh, I want to leave you with this morning. Four, four things that we can apply in light of this conversation. There's a, um, a wonderful book. I, you know, there are tons of great books on, uh, on prayer, but I think the best one is uh, Transforming Prayer by Daniel Henderson. Uh, in his book, he, he makes this point, and it's important for our discussion this morning. Pray by seeking God's face, not just his hand. Start by seeking God's face, not just, not just his hand. As I was thinking about this this week, I, I thought, uh, now my son's in the room, so I'm going to throw him under the bus. But then I'm going to bring him out from under the bus, and we're going to have a great conversation. All right, so uh, I can remember when my son went off to college. And maybe you have a child that's gone off to college, or maybe you went off to college, and you're able to just look at your own life and go, wait a minute, I did that. When my son went off to college, the only time I ever heard from him, was when he needed money. The only time. Not, hey dad, how you doing? Like, you know, I need something. I need money. But that's the truth. The only time, and, and I'm not making it up. I can remember in that season thinking, God really taught me some things during that season, but I'm like, this is how you feel, God. Like, and I want nothing more than to help my son in his current situation and help him out and give him some money. But like, could you just call and see how I'm, like, how are things? I'd love to hear how things are going in your, in your life, right? And so, and let me say that, that, that now, like, he calls me all the time. He, all the time. We talk just about every single day. And it's just about what God's doing in, in his life. He's asking about what God's doing in my life. And we're just having conversations about all that, just what's going on. And, and we have these wonderful conversations all the time. And then we leave those conversations and it's influenced us, the both of us. And so, like I said, I threw him under the bus. But hey, we pull him out because the point is, is that's what, that's what God's want. We, we can't pray and remain the same. That what happens is we find ourselves changing in the presence of God. And as we pursue God, we encounter His character. We, we experience His presence. And it changes us at the deepest level. Not for any other reasons, but just to go and be with God. And for some of us, I know that's like, I don't even, 
I don't even know how to, how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, how do you just, without needing anything, how do you spend time with people that are in your life? Here's what will happen. You start just going to God, not for what he can, for, what he can give you, but just for him. You will begin to see change in your life. You will begin to see things differently. You'll be able to discern spiritual things. You'll be able to, that will 100% be true. God has created us. We've talked about this before. But God has created us to be influenceable. And I don't know if that's a word, but for the sake of our conversation, like he created us that way. So you know what happens when you spend time around other people? You begin to take on some of their characteristics. You begin to talk like them. You begin to, that's going to naturally happen. You know what happens when you begin to just spend time with your heavenly father? You begin to act like him. You begin to care about the things that he cares about. You begin to think the way he thinks. You begin to see things the way in which he sees things. You you begin to love the things that he loves. You begin to hate the things that he hates. You become different. You become different. All right, number two. We pray from God's word, not from a list of our own ideas. We should pray from God's word, not from a list of of our own ideas. The reason why this is the second offensive weapon listed is because we've got to start. If we want to know the will of God, we've got to start with the will of God. Well, how do we know the will of God? It's found in his word. That's, That's how we know. That did his word is an expression of his heart. And that the application is revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's why he says pray in the Spirit. But we start with the, the word of God. See, requests that haven't been surrendered to his word often reflect our will, not his. And that's just the reality. Requests that haven't been surrendered to his word, they reflect our will and not his. And then we want to just name drop at the end. We want to pray our will in Jesus' name. Amen. And think that that's somehow going to, well, that's not how it works. That's not what God intended. When Jesus gives us the model prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what he wants for, that's what he wants for us. Knowing his will comes from knowing him and spending time with him, not just passing a list across the table to him. That's how it works. When you allow God's word to shape all that you think and you desire and you request, It will be transforming. Number three, pray with a heart fixed on God's glory, not your personal desires. Pray with a heart fixed on God's glory, not your personal desires. Stop and think about this. What motivates God to answer our prayers? What motivates God to answer our prayers? What do you think that is? How would you answer that question? What's best for us? I mean, I'm sure that's part of it. That's why we don't always get what we pray for, because that's not what's best for us. What motivates God to answer our prayers is His glory. It's His glory. So what should motivate us in the way in which we pray? God's glory. Not selfish desires. Oftentimes, though, it comes from a place of comfort and convenience, though. So what should motivate us in our praying? God's glory. That's why Paul prayed like he did in verse 19. I'm going to read it again. This is a man who's praying from prison. Listen to what he says. And also for me, pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that the gospel would go forward so God would be glorified. And so God has me in this place. What does God want to do in and through me? And how is he going to get the most glory? And so should we pray for people that we love that are sick? Yes. Not selfishly, but for the glory of, for the glory of God. I, I put a, I put a uh, quote on the back of your listening guide. I'm going to pull it up here. It's, it's going to come up on the screen. And I'm just going to leave it there for a second. I want you to just stop and think about this. Too many Christians spend more time praying to keep sick people out of heaven than praying to keep lost people out of hell. Stop and think about that. 
Too many Christians spend more time praying to keep sick people out of heaven than praying to keep lost people out of hell. Should we pray for those we love? Should we pray for believers? 100%. 100%. But what's our priority? What's our main motivation when it comes to prayer? And oftentimes, let's just be honest, church, it's wrong and misguided and misunderstood. God's glory in the gospel going forward is what's most important. And lastly, we need to pray with a wartime mentality. A wartime mentality. Now, I know how this goes. Now everybody's going to click their pen, they're going to grab their listening guides, and they're going to tuck it away. And it's going to take just a minute before you hear anything I say. So if that's what you want to do, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, like, do it. And then I want to read you something because I want you to hear what I'm going to say. So, or you can just hold it, which that's an option too, and just wait until we're done. I want to read you a quote by John Piper. The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you believe that life is a war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of of a wartime mission. We'll read it again. The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you believe that life is a war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. I want you to think with me for just a moment. As we end our time, I want you to think when we, when we leave here today, I want you to imagine that there are snipers up on top of this building. There are snipers over on the youth building. There are snipers over on top of this building that at some point in time is going to get completed. There are snipers. There are soldiers hidden behind cars out there with automatic weapons. There are tanks going up and down the street. Literally, this is what you're walking out into. Would you dare step out the door not having put on all your armor? Would you? Let me answer that for you. No shot. (laughs) There is no way. Would you pray before you left here? Would you pray as you're running out the door? Would you pray as you're trying to get into your car? Would there be any question whether or not prayer would be a priority? How would your prayer look? Would it be, dear God, thank you for this day? No. No. God, I'm going into a war zone. The only way I'm going to make it out of here alive is if you go with me. And I'm not going out the door unless you're going with me. There's no chance that I'm going to attempt to do this in my own strength and my own power. Would you be praying for your kids before they went out there with you? Would you be praying for the person next to you? Would there be a sense of urgency? Yes. It would change the way you pray. And here's the thing, church. We step out into a war zone every single day and there are snipers everywhere and there are tanks rolling down the streets and they are looking to take you down and take down your family. We've got to pick up the weapon that God has given us and pray in the way in which he has called us to to pray with a sense of urgency. Because the truth is that's what's going on. There is a spiritual war going on. Parents, do you pray for your, think about this, next time you drop your kid off at school, you're sending them into a war zone. Do you pray for your children like, like they're in the midst of a war zone and they have an enemy that wants nothing more than to devour them? How do we pray? Do we, do we pray as if that's, that's true? Do we pray for one another that way? We should. We're in this together. We're the family of God, but the Bible also describes us as the army of God, right? And so we're in this together. Like, we're not alone. But understand this, that it's not just us against the the spiritual forces, that we have something better than one another. It's not just us against the army. Listen to what Scripture says in in 1 John chapter 4. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because I don't want you to leave here this morning just like, okay, we were defeated when we started this conversation, and we're defeated when we end. No, these are some things that we can, we can begin to apply today. And we can step out knowing that, hey, God is with me. God is with me. He's with me. And then secondly, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He has given us everything that we need. See, we, we're, this has been said before too, that we're fighting from victory, not for victory. The victory's already been won. The question is whether or not we'll pick up the, we'll pick up the, the weapons that God has given us and we'll use them the way in which God intended for us to use them. So it's, it's, it's twofold. Hey, we've got to, put these things on. We need to do these things because this is who we are. Because our identity is in Christ, we need to do these things, but we need to make sure that we're also using them as God intended. In doing so, we will then be equipped to fight the good fight that Paul talks about. We can fight the good fight. It's available. It's there. And so I just pray that God, maybe he just stirred in you this morning, just, just showed you some things in your life that maybe, hey, I need to take a step just take a step. Which one of these four things? Okay, this is what I'm going to focus on this week. This is how I'm going to really focus in on this thing, applying it to my prayer life this week. And then just take a step. You know, one of the things I said is that, you know, what makes the Christian life so difficult is that it's so daily. But one of the things that make it so wonderful is it's a journey with God. And each and every day, we just wake up and we take a step. And we take a step. And then the next day, we take a step. And the next day we take a step. And then at some point you look back and you're like, man, look how far God has brought me. Look how far he's brought me. And so what's the next step in regards to prayer? All right, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the gift of prayer. God, help us to, to be a people who prioritize prayer in our lives, both individually corporately. I pray that this church would be known as a, a church who prays. God, that we would continually declare our dependence upon you. God, that you would, you would use this wonderful gift we've been given in prayer. God, to bring about change in us, that you would use prayer in our lives to transform us, to help us discern things as we go about our daily lives. Help us to bring everything, everything before our Father. God, help us to to be the people you would have us to be in the way in which you would have us to do it. God, not trying to come up with our own ideas about how to make that happen, but just embracing what you've shown us here this morning. So thank you for being such a good Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand, if you would stand, and we'll uh, we'll have just a short time of response, maybe... Maybe you need to come.